You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Long before European people came to Australia, the original inhabitants of this land were working with plants. Tragically, some of this wisdom has been lost. But in this episode, we're lucky enough to have on Adam Ship, who's the creator of a fabulous organisation called Eurobi, where he teaches Indigenous knowledge to people from all walks of life. G'day, Adam. I guess we don't really have much of a plan for this episode, so can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your story? Yeah. So I'm Adam Ship. I'm a Wiradjuri man. So for those who don't know, Wiradjuri is a large uh, tribal nation takes up a big chunk of New South Wales. My family are originally from the Dubbo area, Dubbo, New South Wales region, so a lot of people know Dubbo for the zoo and things like that. And, yeah, we both Nan and Pops sort of country um, all through that area. My father moved to Canberra as a young Aboriginal man for work in the 70s and met my mother who's who's a Welsh woman from the UK who also you know her parents moved over here for better opportunities and things so that's kind of I guess a brief history of how I came to be. I'm born and raised in Canberra, Ngunnawal country and I yeah have done all my schooling and all my work here. What I've sort of been involved with uh, in terms of like plant related work over the last sort of 10 years, starting as a ranger, Parks and Conservation Service here in the ACT, which is a like, yeah, is like the national parks sort of setup. So doing that and kind of learning our traditional plant knowledge and, and wisdom from a lot of senior Aboriginal rangers. And then from there, I moved into a non-government organisation called Greening Australia, who are also a national company, and worked there for around sort of six years or so. And I guess my kind of role there, like I did a lot of the restoration work that they do, their core work, but I also was kind of employed to bring Aboriginal perspectives into the organisation and um, sort of lead kind of education programs around that in the ACT. So that's kind of what I was doing while I was there. And luckily during that period, obviously got to connect a lot more and reconnect with my um, Radri elders and learn a lot more about our plant use and our traditional sort of plant uses. So that's been a really cool journey for me. The last three years working in my own business, so I started my own business, Eurobuy, which means seed in Wiradjuri and kind of exemplifies everything that I do and my passion, which is plants. So I guess my my business, what I've been doing is continuing that work in the, you know, the environment, the ecology space, but also the education and cultural education space. So working with schools, working modern programs with my Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community here but also with the broader public sort of educating on our traditional plant use. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, it's, you know, not, there's a lot more to it, but uh, that's <laughs> kind of, I guess, an introductory to it um, in a sense. So, yeah. 
So that's very interesting. And why did you choose, I mean, you, I guess you could have chosen any plant part to represent your business. So why Urubai or seed? Uh, yeah, look, I chose that. I mean, you know, firstly, seed is so important, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, most plants anyway come from a seed. I mean, that's where everything starts from. And so that's what I sort of wanted to exemplify in the name or sort of show in the name is my actual sort of, I guess, logo is Eurobuy always growing because, you know, seeds were always growing from that. So it's kind of a, I guess, a deeper meaning to it to sort of show my passion of plants, but also that, you know, my business can continue to grow like seeds do. Also, yeah, just in a more general sense, like, I really do see the importance of the seed, particularly our native plants. You know, a lot of places where they were in abundance are declining due to, um, you know, in an, in these urban places, you know, they're getting, you know, suburbs and places built over their natural habitat. So they, they're in decline. And so there's really an importance for us to be collecting that seed and to be growing more of these plants and creating more of these kind of um, areas where we can have more of these plants and collect more of this seed and continue them growing and living, I guess. So I think for me, like seed is really important part of the whole, whole picture. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a beautiful image, the seed, because yeah, it's the beginning of everything, like you say. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's, yeah. And that's in my logo too. It's a seed, but um, a friend of mine she's a great artist aboriginal artist she designed it for me and so it's got sort of our traditional art in there but with a seed as well and a um, seedling sprouting from it so yeah so that's that's kind Mm. of the image i wanted to display so yeah i've got a little tap brick coming down too yeah that's it yep (laughs) so what does it mean to you to be connected to the land yeah so look it's quite a powerful thing i believe for for our people being, just being connected, being out on country, it's quite a healing process. And I, I understand that it's it's healing for all humans. It's not just us as Aboriginal people, all human beings mm. have that connection and that get that healing from being connected to land more. So I think it's really important for everyone. But, you know, for me as a Radri man, like, I mean, just recently being back out on my ancestral country with my um aunties and uncles and that and and really just connecting back to there and learning the old stories of those places it just makes you it it really just heals like not more than just physical it's a spiritual Mm -hmm. connection you know it really Mm -hmm. heals you and and makes you really i guess feel that belonging to to Mm -hmm. a place so yeah i couldn't agree more i definitely feel it's hard to explain it, but when you're just sort of outside with your feet in the ground and you're just listening to the birds and every like kind of time stops in a way, like it's not that time slows down or anything. It's just when you get outside of your own worries and stuff like that. I think that there are some, I don't know if it's just what it is, but yeah, just being in nature and just listening to natural sounds and stuff just makes you feel good and it's hard to explain. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And it, it, sometimes it is hard to explain and People just really need to be out there and do it to Mm. really understand it, I guess. And, you know, that's why I am really passionate about the work that I do because I can connect people to that, even though I'm sort of teaching them traditional sort of uses and things like they're out, they have to be out 
in the bush connecting. Mm. So, so that's the part of my job, I guess, that is quite rewarding is that I am getting people out there and, you know, kind of reconnecting to that and, and slow, I guess for them slow down a little bit and forget their worries, as you mentioned, <laughs> you know, um, just mm. for, for, even if it's for an hour or something. So, mm. yeah. So I guess you're taking people out into the bush and you're sort of walking them through some of the plants and you're telling them some of the wisdom. Yep. Can you tell me what sort of people that you have out there and what do you find that you're sort of telling them? Yeah, so it's it's quite a diverse range of people. There has been a real, I guess, resurgence of uh, just keenness, I guess, in, in the broader community to learn and to connect to this kind of knowledge. So. I'm finding, yeah, people from all walks of life coming out on when I run these sessions. I mean, a lot of my work being like from a business perspective, you know, a lot of the work that I get is from schools and stuff. So I'm working a lot with youth and sort of, you know, I guess getting them more connected to that space and, and learning that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's really good. It's rewarding for me to be able to do that, um, work with the next generation. You know, I see there there just is such a difference in our children when you get them out on country. And, and, and again, mm-hmm. it's not only Aboriginal children, it's all children. It's just they just turn totally different, you know, to how they may have been when they're sort of cooped up in four walls <laughs> in a classroom kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think educators really starting to see the value of what myself and what others do because of that they they see the difference in in the children that they're educating and stuff by sort of doing this alternative i guess what they call alternative kind of learning even though it's the way that you know my people have learned for thousands and thousands <laughs> of years so yeah so that's i guess generally is is youth but in saying that like you know i run regular programs with some of our adults, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander adults that have been, uh, that are through the justice system. So they've, you know, had some issues there and some, a lot of them released from prison or whatever. And again, with that, it's really more of a, again, the healing look at it, getting them back and reconnecting to culture and things and um, on country and sort of forgetting their worries and what's happening in town and the, the stresses of that. I mean, in a more broader sense, yeah, so much keenness, I guess, from the, broader community um, outside of Aboriginal, the Aboriginal local community. There's, there's just so much interest there just to learn about what's actually here locally in our own backyard that we can use for food, mm. medicine, fibre, all that sort of stuff. There's just such a keenness to learn that, which is, I think, really, really great to see. Yeah, totally. I guess when we talk about First Nation plant wisdom, a lot of the time people probably initially think of bush tucker, but is there more to it than just food? Oh, definitely, definitely. Probably, you know, the, I mean, everything for us, is all, like all the, the kind of plant stuff and, and anything is, is sacred for us and our foods are very sacred. But, you know, a lot of our, the actual process of collecting our medicines and stuff is very, very um, important and sacred too. And there are some powerful medicines out there that I've been taught, you know, over the years and things that have really helped a lot of people. So, you know, bush medicine is definitely all around us and there's quite a lot there for lots of different ailments and things so you know so that's something that's quite big and then also the actual plants and natural things to make things so fibers to make 
you know, our baskets, nets, make rope, make stone axes and tools, you know, like we obviously have the stone axe, which is from the stone, but, you know, you need a handle, Mm. which is fixed Mm. from a a eucalyptus or from some sort of hardwood. There's so many things out there. It's not just tucker, not just food, but in saying that, what I think a lot of people are amazed by is when they go for a walk with myself or other Indigenous people that are passionate about plants, they actually start to see that there's a lot more food and a lot more mm. edible stuff out there than there is poisonous. So everyone's got okay. this concept of like, everything's poisonous in the bush, right. but you're going to find a lot more edible stuff than poison. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's that's very interesting. I'd like to touch on that. And I'd also like whenever we talk about edible wild foods, I always like to make the disclaimer of we're not responsible for anybody who goes out there and tries to eat food and poisons themselves because... Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess you're going to need someone who knows what they're looking at to be able to be your guide. Would that be right? Yeah, exactly right. And also, even if it's not, you know, a lot of people just think of a plant, okay, eat that berry, you're just going to drop dead. Like even if it's not that kind of sort of toxicity, there's there's things out there that need a certain process before Mm. they can be made, you know, edible or made, you know, right for our bodies to, to digest and things. So even things that seem like they could be safe if you continue to eat it over time, then you're going to run into issues. So mm. so that's really important too is, but no, I definitely, as you say, don't go out there just trying it straight away. Be, be with someone that's competent, a guide first, and, and mm. really learn your identification because that's a big one too. There's a lot of plants that look similar. Some can be toxic, you know, to others. And so that's a really big one too. I think when you're starting in this space is identification of plants. Mm, absolutely yeah down to the species level sometimes too i recently made a mistake where i was thought i was eating a type of clover but it was actually yep. uh, a relative it was a Fabaceae family relative that was actually toxic so right. yeah yep. no matter how no matter how long you've been in it you think you know what you're doing and then unless you're doing it down to that species level you just don't always know yeah exactly no you're exactly right there so yeah always got to be got to be a bit careful and always be a hundred percent or more <laughs> when you're, when you're <laughs> yeah. eating something um, mm. new, new particularly, yeah. So. Mm, totally. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the other uses that plants have been used for, say, for example, fishing and stuff like that? Yeah, so we've got quite a few, obviously, plants that we can use that way. There's, you know, here in the ACT, and I'm sure there's, you know, if yourself in Victoria, there's, there's a lot of um, similarities in mm. native plants like um, species and stuff but mm. uh, you know for example we have a native indigo here indigofra australis which is a fishing plant and that is basically the leaf the roots can be crushed up together so they were kind of crushed up uh, the same sort of way that we would grind our seeds and things and then you would find a water hole or even the old methods of actually creating fish traps so sort of channeling fish into certain parts of a river into like a into a water hole and that's kind of devoid of ox you know running water mm-hmm. and then you would throw throw that plant into there um so once you know that the fish have been channeled into that place throw the throw the plant matter into there and what it actually does is it takes the rest of the oxygen out of the water and so it stuns mm-hmm. the fish so it doesn't kill them it just stuns them makes them quite easy to be collected they they sort of float then mm-hmm. so you can basically <laughs> scoop them out it doesn't affect your the food like eating it just stuns and makes them easier to be caught so you know that's one example there are plenty of other 
Um, there's a couple of wattle species, quite a few, but locally, I mean, the, the blackwood, acacia melanoxin, and the, the lightwood as well, the acacia implexa, they both have properties in their leaves that will stun animals. So fish will stun even kangaroos if you have enough mm. of it in a water, water hole or a water place. So, you know, like kangaroos and a lot of those animals are, can be predictable in where they go to drink and things. So if you have it placed in a water hole, like the leaves for a period and it's leaching out into that and then they drink it, then they sort of get a bit stunned and a bit woozy. So it makes them easier, it slows them down, makes them easier to be hunted. Mm. So that that's some of the methods. Um, some plants, you know, plenty of other plants out there used for other things as well. Like, uh, I mean, one that I can think of back home, we call it the yabby bush and it's, uh, I think it's one of the Marianas species. Yeah can't exactly don't exactly know the botanical name of that one but you basically it's quite spiky and tangly and you basically just pull it right out from the roots because there's quite a lot of them you just pull one out from the roots tie a bit of bush rope throw it into a dam or into a waterway and you can stick a little bit of meat on it too the abbeys yabbies will climb up it going for the meat and then they get stuck in it so <laughs> you know it was like a tr- it was like a traditional yabby trap basically mm. So there's so many different plants out there that do different things, but they're some of the examples of some. So Awesome. Can you explain some of the ways that the landscape changes with the season? With the seasons, yep. Yeah. So, look, quite a lot. I mean, it depends where you are, obviously, as well in the nation. Uh, you know, quite a large you know, continent here, and there's so many different types of seasons depending where you are. I guess I can give examples from where I am and large parts of sort of Southeast Australia and things, but in the ACT, we, the, the local Ngunnawal people who I work closely with, and also my people as Radri people, we have similar sort of looks at seasons, but we actually kind of categorize it into uh, six seasons. And I know that different places might have seven, might have eight seasons, and things like that. And often within those seasons, plant behavior is a big part of determining the season. So at the moment, for example, being this drier, we're sort of in a drier summer period. And obviously, <laughs> you know, this year it's, it's changed a little bit because of the mm-hmm. La Nina and stuff events. But in saying that, the last week has been quite dry. You know, we, in these drier periods of the drier summer, we have the seed, the season. So, you know, the mm-hmm. seeds of many grasses, of many wattles, of many different you know, tree seeds, carajong seeds, different things like that are all sort of coming on and they're quite important in a traditional diet because those seeds were collected in large amounts. Some of them could be dried and stored for later periods of the year when there wasn't so much food around, particularly like winter. So they're quite an important food. And so that comes out in this period now for the next sort of three months, you will be getting collecting the native seeds. So this season can be defined by like the seed. And obviously mm. then there's a lot of different animals that are doing things in this period. You know, there may be animals, kangaroos or, or whatever, you know, as an example, they, they may be mating. And so they become taboo in traditional mm. culture for hunting. So, you know, mm. there might be a whole period where you're, you're only eating veg- vegetable foods. Mm-hmm. because a lot of your game meets and stuff are going through a mating or as we would prefer going through their dreaming period and so we need to leave them alone to let them do that and then they become an available resource later in the year when they're more sort of needed you know in the cooler months when we need 
more of those kind of resources. So, so that gives you, I guess, a sort of brief example before for the for Canberra and for many parts, I guess, just before the seed season, and they kind of overlap a little bit too. So this isn't you know exact because they will overlap depending on the plant species, but the sort of I guess late October, November period um, into December is often the abundance of our fruit. So bush fruits, bush fruit seasons, and you're going to see this typically across different parts of Australia. So, you know, here, ACT, we're going to get a lot of our, you know, native cherries and the Dianella fruit and the G-bungs and different things like that fruiting. You know, you go head in a little bit inland, you get your, you have your Kondongs fruiting, you know, a very iconic sort of traditional fruit. So, yeah, and they, they often they may start a little bit early, like late September as well, but they'll be fruiting through this period. So I guess that kind of, in a sense, is how we define the different seasons when we're talking about plant law and knowledge and stuff. That's um, how it connects in, is the different things, what they're doing at different times. Another thing too is, apart from what the actual resources available, is plants will actually work as like a calendar for us Mm. and indicate the starting Mm. of things. So, you know, flowering, you know, one wattle species an example, silver wattle will flower at sort of the start of our first spring. So that will, it's, it's after basically the, the winter equinox when the, you know, days start to become slightly longer and, you know, the silver wattle really only needs a minute or two longer each day and it starts to flower, like it starts to bud. And so that's telling us that that new season is coming in and then that's new resources or new foods are coming in, maybe fish are waking up from a sort of winter slumber and starting to move a little bit more so they're more active and they're you know you can be caught in different parts of the river system so yeah so they're not just uh, resource foods defining the seasons but there's also like a a flower or something might actually indicate the turning of a different season which we still look at today with our more sort of i guess more europeans sort of look at how we look at um, seasons now in australia with you know the four seasons you know Often autumn is defined by, you know, the deciduous trees dropping leaves and and then spring is defined by the blossoms, you know, that have been Mm. planted around the cities. So, yeah, so I think we still look at it today. It's just a little bit differently Mm. to how it was looked at traditionally. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people are going to find that very interesting and probably mind-bending because they've probably never heard of the concept of more than four seasons. But as you say, that is based off of observations made on the landscape. Mm. Yes, definitely. And observation is a big part, obviously, of our culture because observation then turns into that traditional knowledge that is then really important and passed to the next generations to know how to work with the seasons and move with the seasons. You mentioned a term there, dreaming, and I just can't go past that term. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so, I mean, we all sort of have probably heard of the dream time and, and you know, I guess a lot of people look at the dream time, think of it as, as a past tense, but it's not. It's forever continuing. And so everything has their, their dream and, you know, our plants are exactly the same. They have their dreaming and that might be when they're um, producing a seed or that might be when they're flowering. And, and that's, it can be a little bit, I guess, hard to sort of explain sometimes without being on country, I guess. but. Hmm. Like that's in a in a sort of brief kind of wrap up of things. Like that's how it, we can be. We can look at things. Uh, look look at 
their their behaviors and how they're happening and, and animals are the same so you know i'll just use one example that you know uh, has taught me about down on the coast south coast new south wales and she talks about like bull shark dreaming and so bull shark dreaming is when they're coming in they're mating and they're actually closer to the shore and closer mm. to the shoreline and you know in the bull shark dreaming obviously it teaches us not to be in the water at that period mm. of that time mm. because they're in there they're doing their mating and they're quite aggressive as well so we you know there's teachings in that for us to let's not be hunting in that period in the water let's be out maybe hunting land instead land animals instead and things because that's their period and that's their time and we need to respect that because that's their place and things so yeah hopefully that kind of sort of explains it a little Mm. bit I think that it will be difficult to explain it because it is a mysterious thing. So I think you've done a great job of explaining it to in, in a short time. I mean, I, I would certainly like to learn more and about that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. No, yeah. I was going to say as well, it's obvious that of deep respect and connection to the land with you is not just a one-way thing of like, it's not just a simple thing. It's a, it's a whole way of life of observing and passing down knowledge to other people and just living on the land in in a really respectful way like when you say like you got to respect the bull sharks and stuff like that the wisdom of that i've observed is we don't take that into account of you know the bull sharks are mating during that season we just say oh there's sharks in the water we don't really think about the season or why that might be that they're coming closer now yeah that's right and i think it would be it's helpful still today for for all Australians to learn this kind of stuff a little bit more and be a bit more respectful of it because you know it's going to be helpful you know to know that knowledge and to understand that it's it might not be a good time to go swimming in an ocean mm. period you know we we hear of it every year someone mm. getting attacked by a shark or whatever and and i guess maybe listening by listening to the local peoples of the land um, that have that sort of knowledge and continue to share it it's it's quite important for all australians to to take on a bit bit more yeah but even like even just uh, again like with plants and stuff you know a lot of plants you know if they're flowering or something for example that's that might be their dreaming and that means that we don't harvest that plant if it's got a tuber it's got a root or something we leave it Mm. at that period and this isn't all plants it's just some there's dreaming behind each different plant and that's just an example of some of them we we leave them alone they're doing their flowering that you know that flower is providing food and and things for insects and stuff that are also really important in the whole the, i guess the, like as we see it as oneness they're, they're all created mm. and they're all they're all connected to everything mm. and so it's really important to be quite I guess tread lightly in the bush and and just to um, respect all things like that and 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 so that's kind of also a part of it I guess um, is understanding the different times of year that we can be harvesting and collecting and and things like that and again that kind of connects with the law of the land and the plant law and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So. so when you say law of the land, do you mean L A W or L O R E? Yeah, L O R E. I guess as um, as it's been spelt. English mm. way, yeah, yeah, and, and it is obviously an English word, but yeah, that's what we kind of mean. We have our our traditional laws in place, and they have never changed. You know, they're they're um they're just always continuing, and um yeah, so we have those laws that we live by, and and then we have obviously the new laws that have been brought here. Um, so mm. 
Yeah, so that's kind of the ones that we try to we still connect with and and you know what I stress with people is to understand is that they have never disappeared from this landscape and we're all living mm. in it now and if you're born of this land it doesn't matter if you're Aboriginal or not you are connected in that sense to those laws mm. and to the law of that land. So that's really beautiful. So you were saying that you sort of work with the parks rangers and stuff like that. What are we doing well in that space and where can we improve, Adam? Uh, yeah, look, I think there's a real, again, quite a keenness to uh, work together more so now than what I've seen in the past. Even in the past, like I said, 10 years that I've been in that space. Last year I got a contract with AC Government doing some restoration work and, you know, just working with the rangers there, they're just so keen to have more Aboriginal people on the ground um, involved but also actually sharing and, like, you know, working with that those traditional knowledge and ways mm. to sort of bring better outcomes, I guess. You know, I think, like, a lot of a lot of ecologists, a lot of people in that space, you know, what the, the learnings that they've learned from the scientific ways, they're starting to see that, like a lot of our traditional knowledge, it just all links up the same way. You know, it mm-hmm. might be a roundabout way, but it all kind of connects in. And so I think people are starting to realise that and starting to understand that it is so important to learn from those old ways as well and, and kind of connect them in. You know, I what a lady that I work with, non-Indigenous lady in parks, she's a, you know, a ranger and has years of experience, but she, when we were out, she was showing us the site that we were to do some work on and, she was basically doing some rogue um, sort of burning mm-hmm. country and she's right. like, you know, there's so much red tape in government, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to just get some fire on the ground. So she was kind of just doing it herself okay. um, and and only small patches, you know, but she was showing us these patches and they're just coming back with just so diverse species of of plant life, like native plant life and the weeds are just disappearing, you know. She's just doing right. that. She's made that slight change and made, you know, taken really taken on the, I guess, the traditional knowledge of fire as well. You know, she's kind of learnt those from traditional owners and things and kind of she's just really seen the light, I guess, in that sense. And she was so proud of her work, you know, showing us what had come back and it was just great for myself and my good friend who's a local Nungawa man that we're, you know, who, who we're working together and to be able to see these non-Indigenous people really embrace it, it's, it's just really nice to see. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And thanks for keeping her name private too because we definitely don't want to out her. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. No, I won't, I won't drop any names. So. <laughs> yeah, so. so for our listeners who would like to know more about First Nation plant wisdom and especially bush tucker, can you recommend some resources for us? Yeah, so uh, I often get that question. So for my local area, and I know there's probably not a lot of people, or there may be some people in this local area sort of listening, but there's Nungawal Plant Use Guide, which I uh, worked on with local Nungawal people and put that together. That's available in book form and it's available online so you can uh, order it online that although it is the Nungawal plant use and it is specific to the Nungawal region a lot of the plants in there you're going to find across large parts of southeast australia so 
it could be still a worthwhile guide even if you're in Victoria, uh, et cetera, you know, parts of New South Wales. There's also a Radri one that's been out a, a little bit longer. It's actually now available just online for free. It's the Radri plant use guide and that really covers the plants that you're going to see in there are going to be a little bit more sort of, I guess, in the central sort of, so the central west regions, which is Radri country, but you're going to, if you're not in that area, sort of more the, um, I guess, arid regions of Australia. So again, Victoria has arid regions. You, you probably mm. find some of those plants that are in that book in the, the arid regions of Victoria and, and right up into Queensland and stuff. So they're two, two good guides that I can think of. There is another one. If you bear with me, I'll just go and get the name of it. Yeah, no worries. Yep. No dramas. Yep. Um, so this is one that, that I found online. Really awesome guide. This is Victorian-based. But again, like our, these plants go across right up into Queensland and it's just called Bush Foods and Survival Plants of Southeast Australia. So if you just Google that, it should come up. But apart from all that, that like guys are really, really good. Again, like we spoke about, my first thing would be to connect locally with who may be in your local region and some regions are going to be easier than others. I understand that to connect with local custodians and stuff. But, uh, you know, that's if you really want to, I guess, really learn, you know, the, the, the stuff, the, it's, that's the best way to do it is to be out on, on country with knowledge holders and stuff and to learn that. Now, you know, in the ACT, for example, we have First Nation businesses that are doing these walks like myself and, and others. I know probably Melbourne, places like that, Sydney, the bigger cities, there's, there's many Aboriginal sort of tourism groups and stuff that run these things. So I think that would be my mm. first thing, point of call. And then if you, you know, resource guides like the ones I've mentioned are very helpful as well. So, Thank you for those. And we will have links in the show notes for people to check out those resources as well as some local people that they can connect with as well. So, Yeah, cool. Cool. And I always ask this at the end, it's a spot for you to plug something that you've done to advocate for a change in the world or to recommend a charity. Is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know about, Adam? Gee, that's a good one. <laughs> good question. <laughs> Look, I, I probably, I guess as a bit of a plug, it's still sort of, I would say in its infant stages, but one of the programs I work on here in the ACT is called Culture Talks. And this is a program that, as I mentioned before, is to assist our people coming like that are in the justice system um, coming out of prison and things and sort of assisting them to get back on the I guess on the right track and that program I'm involved with weekly we are actually out at a we take the participants out to a farm called Kappa Cumberlong in the ACT and this farm is a really awesome place it's got so much stuff going on out there you know metalworking and woodworking and all sorts of different things Um, they're planting a whole lot of different bush foods and native foods as well as, you know, more conventional vegetables and stuff out there. And, um, and so that program I'm hoping to kind of, we're hoping to get a social enterprise happening out of there, which can provide money back into the program because the program is kind of just grants based at the moment. And so if we can kind of make it a bit more self-sufficient, it would be great. So 
at the moment, there's nothing to really look at um, in terms of like information on it. But you can maybe follow my Instagram, which is um, battleship underscore Eurobuy, <laughs> Y-U-R-B-A-Y. Yeah, I, it started off as a personal account. That's why Battleship <laughs> is there, which is my nickname. And then I turned it into my business account. But yeah, I'm going to have more information on that, hopefully down the track as we get going. And there's going to be hopefully products available with Culture Talks kind of products. So, you know, that could be anything from handmade products that they've made on the program. So, you know, some of the leather work and some of the maybe more traditional stuff like boomerangs, clapsticks, things like that, right through to bush food products. So medicinal teas, spices, herbs, all sorts of stuff. So hopefully, eventually down the track this year, and it's definitely going to happen, keep positive in that set, we're going to be sort of really getting that up and running and um, and people will be able to purchase products and um, that money will go back into a, a well and sort of cause in, in keeping the program going and keeping our people engaged in our sort of more cultural practices and, mm. and, and creating a better sort of future for them. Thank you, Adam. That was an incredible episode. Really appreciate it, mate. Oh, good. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, and um, thanks for inviting me on. Get in touch with your local Aboriginal groups that are putting themselves out there and are willing to teach what they know. Burning with fire isn't as simple as it sounds, so if you haven't been trained by an expert, it's best to just avoid it because one, it's dangerous, and two, it isn't always helpful depending on the circumstances and the plants. If you're a First Nations person and have some knowledge to share, Ben and I would encourage you to get out there and share it if you think it's appropriate because we believe people are interested in what you have to say. We have so many episodes that we've already recorded, so we're excited to announce that we'll be releasing two episodes per week during February. Our next episode will be released next Sunday on the topic of trees as habitat with Dr. John Martin, who's associated with the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney. Tell your mates, and listen to our back catalogue in the meantime. I guess before we start, I may as well just tell you a little bit about who I am and sort of what I want to achieve with this project and with this episode. Yep. Yeah, like I said, my name's Daniel. I'm a maintenance gardener. So for eight years, I've been maintaining gardens in Queensland and in Victoria. Um, That's domestic and commercial and parks and stuff. And then I guess just for the last few years, I'd sort of been just felt like I had more to give. So I just started writing a blog and researching about plant care and trying to get ecology and stuff into there as well. And because that's something I really believe in, I really believe in the environment and that we have to have a responsibility to care for it. And during lockdown, when I was in Melbourne, I reached out to a bunch of businesses and said, like, would you rather hire someone who has no experience and a qualification or the opposite? And then one of them got back to me. He's a board member for the Western Australian Landscape Industry Association. And he said, tell me about your, your goals and that. And I said, oh, I want to start a podcast. And then he was like, hell yeah, let's go into business together because podcasts are pretty cool. And then, yeah, I guess here we are. And now we're sort of 20, this, well, we're 23 episodes deep now and um, still going strong. Yeah, great.